I invite you to bow your head for an opening prayer. Loving God, on this slow Sunday, many of us are tired. We are tired of being inside, away from the ones we love. We are tired of being unable to gather together to worship you. We are tired of boredom, and some of us are tired of simply being tired from somehow being even busier in all of this. Lord, help us to feel rested in our bodies, minds, and souls. May we feel fulfilled even in our distancing, and help us to find our voice to rejoice in you and all that you have given us. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found in result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oftentimes, the Sunday after Easter is referred to as Low Sunday for a few reasons. We tend to see smaller crowds in churches. Sometimes pastors take the day off. This is commonly just a Sunday that we feel tired coming off of the big planning and celebration of Easter, much like the trends we see right after Christmas. This day is also when we often retell the story of Doubting Thomas, which remembers even one of Jesus' disciples struggling to believe in the resurrection without having physically seen, and reminds me of my time in a church children's musical when I was younger. This is a day where we might normally be keen to lean into that tired time, to just take a week off and do the minimum with faith because we have just celebrated one of our biggest church holidays. In the season between Easter and Pentecost, we can be left with a feeling of, now what? I've wrestled, though, with whether this is the right tone for today. While we do not get the big celebration last week that we're probably used to, we are living in a tired world right now. My pastoral care class has been talking recently about grief, especially in the context of what we're experiencing right now. We talked about how people are grieving plans, jobs, contact, and more and more the effects that grief is having on us. I've been reading articles by psychologists shared by friends that explained why many of us are feeling so tired right now, even if we have less to do. They described this experience with grief and said that this is caused from us being too tired, 
because we have lost our routines and are often unsure exactly what to do or how to cope in order to make this a temporary new normal. Even though we didn't have celebrations last week as big as usual, we still have things making us tired today. So how does that translate to our spiritual life? I was reading something recently on worship right now, and it posed this question. How are we to be Easter people in a Good Friday world? This really hit home for me after having such an unusual Easter, and when so much feels just the same as it did throughout a very difficult Lent. Some have joked that we are living in a time of both Somehow, Christ has risen, and yet Lent is still sticking around. This same piece that I was reading suggested an answer, though. Joy. It admitted that joy might seem like a simple response right now, but I couldn't help with but agree when it pointed out that there is no such thing as just joy. Not ever, and certainly not right now. Joy is no small concept and no small response, especially when there is so much in the world that almost seems to be trying to drown out this joy. This article reminded me that we are called by our faith to rejoice in it, not to hide it. My mind immediately went to the song, This Little Light of Mine, that so many of us have learned as children. It has a simple message, as many children's songs do but that doesn't make it any less powerful. We have a light that we must allow to shine for the world, and we won't let anything snuff it out or hide it. We have a calling to share that light and let it through our rejoicing. This is a calling easier, sometimes more than other times. It is easier to rejoice when the sun is shining on us and birds are chirping when we are all together and enjoying fellowship, when we have stable jobs and confidence in our health, when we are able to see loved ones, and when we are able to gather for worship and rejoicing as a community. It is more difficult, though, to rejoice when life seems harder, when we're suffering or sick, when we've experienced loss of jobs or loved ones, when we feel isolated and when the world seems dangerous or dark. What do we do in these harder times then? Should we still rejoice? Peter answers us here very clearly. Yes, because we have more than just what is happening to us right now. He reminds us, just as he reminded his early church audience, that even though we go through hard times, we know that this cannot be the end. Through our faith, we do not just have life in this world. We have an even more important and far longer lasting life in Christ. Therefore, what we are experiencing right now has an even more limited scope with perspective. Any outside force has a limit of how long it can affect us in this life because everything has its season. But with the perspective of that struggle in the whole of eternal life, It is minuscule. Last week, we celebrated the one who defeated death and was raised from it. We were given Jesus' strongest reminder that we have a life through Christ which cannot be broken by anything in this world. 
Christ taught us that even in the worst times, God's love triumphs. We rejoice in the hard times because we have faith in our God that there will come a day again when the struggle is merely a memory that offers us something to learn from. This reminded me again of the Lament Psalms, which I mentioned in a sermon once before. We learned about their structure in my Old Testament class, and there has not been another lesson in any class that I have come back to as much as the lesson on these psalms. We talked about it in that class, most especially about the structure of the Lament Psalms and their uniqueness, not only in offering lament over the struggles or loss about something, but also reminding God of the good that they had received before and professing their faith that God will take care of them again. Even as they lamented, they also rejoiced over all of the good things that God had done for them and would do for them in the future. Their eyes were not just fixed on right now. This lesson has felt prophetic to me and to other classmates that I've seen reference it in the last few weeks in their sermons and devotionals. It feels like exactly what we need right now, even though there's no way that my professor could have known how much we would need it or that it would be one of his very last lectures to us in person. Seminary has continually made me grateful that I have seen God at work through it, as my professors have equipped my classmates and me in exactly the ways that we've needed right now. This model for Lament Psalms can be our means of rejoicing too. It offers us license to go to God with everything that we feel is wrong right now and ask for help. But this format also requires us to remember the good of God that we worship. We must lift up the positive things that have happened that we know God to be responsible for, as well as our assuredness in God's continual love and deliverance in the future. This mixture of lament and rejoicing is not necessarily for only for our relationships with God. It is good for our souls and our mental health as well. Did you ever hear that saying that if you hold a smile for a certain amount of time, even if you don't mean it at first, it eventually starts to be real? I did. And while I don't know if holding a fake smile can actually make you happy, I do know that thinking about the gifts of God in our lives can. Giving intentional time to reflect on the things in our lives that have been good and still are good helps us to be more positive and have more hope for the future. It encourages us not to dwell on our lament or tiredness, but to move forward with anticipation and assurance for the future. This was an essential part of Israelite culture as seen in the Psalms, and I believe it's because they knew both the value of validating pain and concern as well as making an effort to return to the feelings of comfort in God. Just as it was important for their prayer life, it should be important for ours too. This rejoicing is not only good for us though, as even or or especially during social distancing. Others may look to our faith in response to what is happening. If we spent time only 
lamenting and questioning where God is in this situation, that is the message that we communicate to those around us. If we allow those questions and lament, but also show love and rejoice in God, we communicate a very different message. By reflecting on our faith and gifts of God, and then sharing the good news that we believe in through our words and actions, we set an example for the world of what Christians believe. We can show that we have faith even when things are challenging, and we can show that hard times do not change our values. This is a time to show the light of Christ in all that we do by rejoicing, keeping others safe, showing love, finding joy, seeking and fighting for justice, and showing mercy and forgiveness. This passage from 1 Peter also reminds us slightly of Doubting Thomas. That story that we normally would hear on this day. Peter does not actually mention Thomas or his experience with doubt, but he reminds the Christian reader of the value of the fact that we have faith even though we have not been there to witness the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Though we still do not physically see Christ today, we believe in him nonetheless. For Peter, this must have been especially exciting because he got to see the growth of faith in people who, unlike him, had not met and seen Jesus. To us, this is a given, but to him, it was new. He was preaching to something like a new generation of Christians. It can be so much harder for us to believe in what we do not see, so we can understand the very human doubt of Thomas. When we think of it from the perspective of someone like Peter, we can see how miraculous this faith is. Thinking of this excitement of Peter and at our faith without sight brings me back to the idea of Low Sunday and the feeling that this is the what do we do next day. What if instead of a low day where we are just tired, this could be a reflection Sunday or rejoicing Sunday? Instead of creating a lull by feeling the big event is over, we could and should spend this time remembering why we have faith and why we celebrated last week in the first place. I think this is exactly what this passage is doing today. Peter is starting off his letter to the exiles by reminding them of their living hope to encourage them and focus them on what is important and essential. This is an opportunity for us, too, to recenter on what is important. Perhaps the question for this Sunday after Easter is not a what, but a why. Why are we encouraged, just like Peter's audience, to remember why we have faith and why we should rejoice. He gives us the answers for this why as well. He reminds us that we worship a merciful God who through Christ's resurrection offers us a living hope, an inheritance like no other, one that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. He says that through our faith, we are protected by the power of God, which we know nothing can defeat. And that protection is for our salvation, which no one else can offer. He is reminding us of this so that we can reflect on 
it and the uniqueness of what we have through Christ. In having faith despite our struggling times, we have something more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire. He admits that this analogy is not perfect because gold is perishable, unlike genuine faith or love in Christ. But this emphasizes that precious things come with and through trials. It is these that can make us sure of what we believe. He does not end with what we believe, though. He pointed to the rejoicing as well. This is another challenging step that is essential to our faith. Once we have celebrated or reflected on our belief, daily rejoicing is the next thing to tackle, not only in having the perseverance to do it, but even simply in figuring out how. One of my favorite commentaries is um, called Feasting on the Word. I use it when I am preparing for sermons. I read a really interesting example recently from this commentary series about the difference between learning about how other Christians um, in our history or non-Christians, thinking about like the ancient Israelites, praised and just their way of sharing praise compared to our own forms of praise today. The praise of those before us tends to be easier because we are learning about it and then lifting it up as our own. This isn't wrong by any means because it offers us a chance to engage with and carry on our Christian traditions. But recognizing and vocalizing our own praise is often harder. It's essential, though, for us to try and do this because we rejoice for some of the same things as others and some that are quite different. The Israelites rejoiced because God delivered them from Egypt in a different way than we would rejoice today, even though we're still seeking deliverance right now. The early church rejoiced in the resurrection of Christ and the promise of salvation, which we too rejoice over. But for them, it was a different tone because the events were so close and they brought the creation of the church as a people. We, though, are established and it gives us a little different perspective. Just as the ancient Israelites and the early church created and lifted up their forms of rejoicing based on what they were experiencing of God, we must do this too. We have the gift of examples to draw on, but we keep this as a living faith by praising God not only by tradition, but also with our context today. This is the gift and challenge of celebrating Low Sunday as Easter people in a Good Friday world. How will we reflect and rejoice this week? Receive this benediction. May you reflect this week on the foundations of your faith and rejoice in the gifts of God in this life and the next. Amen.